0: Hello and welcome to Alien Places, the show that shows you don't have to think like a human. I'm Atul Kumar. Hello, and uh, I'm an alien. Each episode we ask our guests which three places they would show my alien friend here to give it a sense of the key issues facing human society. It's the only podcast we know of that's co-hosted by someone from another quadrant of the multiverse. So, how are you doing today, buddy? Uh, Fine, thank you, Atul. Are you really fine though, Alien? We've talked about this before. You don't have to pretend to be fine with me. How's your eco-anxiety? Oh, okay, Uh, yes, so uh, much better this episode. Thank you, Atal. I'm relieved that a climatically dangerous human is leaving the presidency of your United States of America. So you have a slightly lower probability of a runaway greenhouse effect and ending up like Venus. So, uh, due to the principle of cause and effect, my eco-anxiety is, as you'd expect, now much lower. Thank you for asking, asshole. Good, now, Alien, would you like to introduce our guest for today's episode? Oh, oh, can I, again? Oh, oh, yes, I enjoyed it last time, oh, thank you, asshole. Yep, just read from the notes there again, please, Alien. Oh, hooray, oh, oh. Richard James McCowan is the founder of the non-profit Biomimicry UK and also works with ISO, or International Organization for Standardization for Biomimetics. Richard has taught at some of the top design schools in the world, including the Royal College of Art in the UK and the Pratt Institute in the US. Richard is an award-winning designer and develops innovations that reduce costs and improve efficiency. Uh, How was that at all? That was a very good introduction, thank you, Alien. And welcome, Richard James McCowan, to Alien Places. Yeah,
1: hello, Ato, and hello, Alien. Thank you
0: very much for having me. So, uh, something that I ask all my guests uh, now on Alien Places is, um, is that your first experience of being introduced by an alien from another sector of space? I would say a green one, but do
1: getting interviewed by an MP count...
0: It does, yes. So uh, maybe it's not yeah. the first time you've been uh, interviewed by an alien. I know. Well, but it's a
1: special one at Christmas, and I love the alien's hat that he's wearing as well.
0: And um, did the alien get all the details right there about your background?
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, I also um, run A Innovation Lab, which is a uh, consultancy which actually started on the 25th of December 2019, Little did I know that Mm -hmm. this kind of year was coming up.
0: And uh, that's actually a non-profit, were you saying earlier to me, just before we started recording? Well,
1: Biomimicry biomimicry in the UK is a uh, non-profit and the Innovation Lab is uh, for profit.
0: So that's sort of your consultancy?
1: Yeah, and then I've got another company that which we started a number of years ago with some people looking into uh, the health and well-being of horses.
0: Great, okay. And does that bring biomimicry uh, into your work on that side of things as well?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this that company's been put on hold for a year or so just because of everything else going on. But yeah, we're looking into various ways for, from, say, regenerative agriculture, um, looking at different types of materials, looking into smart horse blankets, these kind of things. So it's just about exploring new ideas and seeing what different ways we can um, reduce the
0: stress in animals. So, uh, before we go much further, um, maybe it's a good idea to uh, define for people that are not familiar with the terminology biomimicry and biomimetics. How would you define those terms? Well,
1: there's lots of phrases flying around from neo biomimetics, as they're calling it now in Japan, um, to bionics, biomimicry, biomimetics, bio inspired, biologically inspired. Um, I've had my team actually doing research on this in the UK at the moment, having to search all of these. Ten or fifteen different words, and they're, in its essence, they're all the same. What they're trying to do is look to nature, looking at the principles, how things are done, how nature's overcome a problem, a challenge. Whether it's looking at systems, whether biological living systems or ec- ecological, through to um, you know ecological and biological processes, um, and then all the way down to you know individual functions. And this can be going all the way down to you know you've got people now looking down to the nano scale or even quantum level, all the way up to, you know,
0: large forests, ecosystems, habitats. Well, um, I've always been interested in biomimicry, and um, a few years ago I wrote an article about the immortal jellyfish that they found, that they found about 10 years ago. Um, are you familiar with that example of sort of potential biomimicry, and what's your thoughts on that, that, that particular example? Well, that'd be an amazing thing about, I
1: mean, because people are always looking for the elixir of life. How can we regenerate body parts? Because, you know, we do self-repair you know, especially if we have got young children, the amount of times they bang and bump their heads and cut themselves. That the problem is, is when we self repair, it doesn't come back new. It comes back at the same kind of, um, you know, decay as the rest of our bodies. So to find a way to kind of prolong life or keep regenerating, I mean, that'd be an excellent idea. But also, I don't know, Alien, if you think that could be that quite
0: terrifying because what would happen if nobody ever died? Well, uh, that's the issue that we have on on my planet, actually, because uh, we got rid of death uh, quite a long time ago, because uh, we did a bit of biomimicry on some of the species on my planet, and uh, we quickly realised that uh, death is a choice, as we say, on my planet.
1: That's an interesting. uh, Very interesting, because that's the thing, would you want to live forever? Imagine having to quantify all those things that you've learned over time.
0: Well, we we do like to live quite a long time. I mean, uh, I've just had my one billionth birthday, uh, but my parents... um, Do you want me to say the number of the age of my parents? Because um, it would take me eight minutes to say the word trillion enough times to uh, quantify the age of my parents. Shall I start now, Richard? Go on, then. Okay, My parents are one trillion, 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 trillion. Trillion, 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 trillion. Trillion, 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 trillion 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 trillion, trillion. Tr- thank you alien that' that's, that's quite enough um, if we can get back to the uh, the interview please alien one of the interesting things I find about axolotls and their ability to regenerate limbs is the connection between the armed forces. So if you think about military ex-servicemen and servicewomen who have lost limbs, what if we could find a way of learning from axolotls uh, that can help people like that? So there's a real humane aspect to uh, biomimicry, I think, and that those medical applications are going to be um, really important in the future, I would hope. Yeah,
1: definitely. And I also think um, doing a lot more work with the military actually is a good thing. I'm not talking about weapons to kill people, but looking at... Areas. So the military do a lot of good by going into areas helping setting up, say, refugee camps, um, you know, engineering solutions for you know, water bridges, and you know, even just down to the technologies that's been developed in the past, you know, our smartphone technology all came from the military, so did um, a lot of the internet technologies. Um, so having them testing it in high performance areas and then it being put out to the private sector got to be a good thing because you know if they've got the money to do the R&D and invest in these things um,
0: I don't see why not. Another example of biomimicry that I've heard is being researched at the moment and it's something that I think a lot of people can relate to is the idea of aeroplane designs and at the moment if an aeroplane is in mid-flight and something happens and there's there's a, a hole that's ripped into the side of the the cabin at the moment it's just a it's a it's an engineering issue that can't be fixed mid-flight but are they researching ways that uh, things like airplane cabins can be fixed mid-flight and they can be fixed kind of self self self-fixing materials basically
1: yeah i mean self-repairing materials that kind of ambient conditions is kind of the holy grail you know um from you know materials that you know the polymers are combined together great amazing you've got that you know companies developing that for glass you know i don't have a problem with getting my phone fixed when i drop it because i lose it so it's not about um those problems but yeah um those kind of areas of you know going down to the the nano the micro scaled materials science and seeing how these things can restitch together whether it's bacteria you know for concrete or the materials for high performance materials like in you know cars and aircraft is definitely the way forward and it's just reducing down the costs and actually
0: seeing actually how do you stabilize these things it reminds me of the the baddie in terminator 2 that, that's sort of made of uh, liquid metal and terminator's just blowing it apart with a with a machine gun and it just fixes itself again and it's a pretty pretty tough uh, enemy to to deal with if you can if you can repair yourself
1: yeah i mean that's the thing how do you yeah and then they had they had to basically melt it mm. in the end I mean, this this little prop here i mean um, if you ever look into in, in a set of shells and the really shiny eras the mother of pearl so that is effectively the same material um, that you'd find in the White Cliffs of Dover. It's chalk, but it's combined with um, some of the protein from the animal that then allows it to bind together and it binds together in certain ways that um, it dissipates the energy load when it's um, getting pressured on it. And then it self repairs because of the proteins as well. So it's effectively like having this kind of spongy proteins between Lego blocks that then um, pulls it all together. And it's absolutely fascinating to study a um, or mother of pearl. pill. There's just so many potential um, ways that people are looking
0: at that around the world. OK, so you've had a chance to think about your three places and the three songs and films that you'd show The Alien here. Uh, so let's get into your first of your three places.
1: Yeah, well, the first
0: place um, I would take um,
1: Alien along to is the Highlands of Scotland. So um, I grew up, just outside Glasgow, and my grandparents, uh, one of the sets of grandparents lived up um, near Inverary on Loch Fine. And I was always, I was used to be going there, Christmas holidays and the summer and that, and we would just run around and go nuts. My grandfather was very much he used to work in farming and agriculture, but he would teach me about the interconnectedness of everything. So how the rainfall goes in, obviously the rain goes into the streams, but then it's watering into the trees and the soil. And then the impacts of um, fish farming and growing um, other things on the sea lock and how that impacted onto the coastline and then into um, poisoning, say, some of the animals because of some of the, the toxins and the fish and that. So I learned very, very um, early on as a, um, about how things work in a system. Mm. And I was just fascinated by that. I was fascinated by flight. I was fascinated by things under the water and just things that connected. And they've always been, and it just—it's always stuck with me. Kind of this system of the cause and effects, what are the relationships and what are the trade-offs you find in the natural world, and it's very useful to take that into actually the study of that to then developing new technologies.
0: The idea that things are connected is, has been around for a long time, hasn't it, Alien? Oh, oh, yes, we we understand uh, the systems thinking, and it's uh, it's nice to see it in the Highlands of Scotland. And and uh, any particular species that you'd like to show me in the Highlands? I would
1: say. One of the not the funniest thing, but my grandparents used to have a book on the shelf called "The Midges of Scotland," and it was about three inches thick, and this was about seven or eight inches um, high. And yeah, these midges, mosquitoes, were very, very small, but they would come at you in their millions. And it shows you that you know you don't need to be big to make a massive impact. But they were also, you know, they were feed for other. But they would, you know, they would feast on people from outside or you weren't used to it. So you would have to go at certain times of the year, certain times of the day and try and avoid it. My aunt and uncle actually have these um, zappers outside their house and they actually then come out in the morning, it's killed off all the mosquitoes, uh, midges, sorry. And then they use it as um, feed for their plants. They scoop them all up and put them onto their crops. So I don't know if you've got insects like that, um, alien
0: on your world. Oh, we, we do have a, quite a few insects, yes. We've got quite a wide range of uh, biodiversity. Uh, I'm a sort of middle-sized species on my planet, so we've got loads and loads of small midges and uh, insects and uh, a few bigger than me as well. That's going to be scary. Well, uh, they don't have all the skills that I have uh, because they those bigger species haven't really bothered with biomimicry, you see. Uh, so um, they, they could attack us, but we just heal immediately afterwards. Well, it's still good at heart, though. Uh, it's, it's not pleasant. You're absolutely right, Richard James McCarron. <laughs> and uh, what about the, uh, the the song that you play, The Alien, in um, uh, in the Highlands of Scotland?
1: Yeah, I mean, the first song is, um, actually, Where is the Love? The Black Eyed Peas. Um, this song is, and I also like the video, it's very much about just not just about racial oppression in America, but it's about kind of people just being together again and actually being part of a community. Well, that's the way I see it anyway. And I think very much, um, as you know, Alien, during this um, the COVID crisis, you're seeing a lot more people coming together and knowing their neighbors. And I don't know if you've ever had the chance to go to London and being on the tube
0: that people didn't talk to each other, but now people do. Oh, really? Okay, I haven't been to London since the uh, pandemic started, so uh, that's interesting, yeah.
1: So to me, the, that song is about where's the love. We need to start, to me, it's about where's the love for a natural world as well. We need to start thinking not just about what we want, solid desires, but actually what's good for ourselves. You know, we're letting, everybody's realising a lot more now. It's better to be out in the natural world for mental health. So we should start protecting a lot more because it's, you've only got one planet
0: There's there's only one Earth, um, uh, Richard James McCowan. It's something that a lot of humans seem to forget.
1: Yeah, especially those in the the neoliberalists and the capitalists of this planet who just think about greed and profit and, um, you know, how orange can they make their faces? But as you Mm -hmm. mentioned in the beginning, you know, one of those people is luckily um, leaving, unfortunately not this planet, but leaving one house to go to another one.
0: Yeah, great news for the climate and for many hundreds of thousands of other reasons as well why that's good news for humanity. So uh, that's, that's, that's great, one of the most positive things that's come out of 2020. Um, so where is it left by the Black Eyed Peas? Great, so we'll look forward to listening to that in the Highlands of Scotland. And uh, what about the film that you would show the alien in Scotland? I will show them the Time Machine. Uh, not the uh, the one that was produced uh,
1: you know, 15, 20 years ago, but the original one back in the the mid 20th century. And it's based on H.E.G. Wells' uh, Time Machine. And this was one of the films that I remember for years. And it's just the, the way that you can go build a time machine to go into the future, but then actually seeing the future is not that great because what's happened is society's splintered in two. And there's the haves and the have nots. And effectively the people that think they've got everything actually are actually just the drones for the people living underground. And they don't have any knowledge is gone but they live in this beautiful society, but they're all kind of just almost like drones. And they're there just as a feed, in a feed for the, um, it's, it's the mocks who live underground. And I think it's just a, it's almost a way of looking at our society. And I just find it fascinating that H.G. Wells can write a book and then it gets turned into a film and they, they did it where the special effects weren't as great, but it kind of still had that kind of impact and it as you can um, actually get from, like, you know, modern films these days, just because the acting and the quality of, kind of, the the narrative as well.
0: Uh, Atul tells me that humans don't have time machines. Is that true, Richard?
1: Well, that's technically true, unless um, you send... um, Somebody goes almost close to the speed of light, and then you can do the, the, the twin paradox, can't you? Or is it the grandfather paradox, where you can actually, depending how fast you travel, actually time changes relative to the person on the ground, on the earth.
0: Yeah, it's a a, a shame that we don't have a real time machine. I mean, one of the things that I remember about Richard Dawkins um, when when he talks about the difference between animals and humans is that one of the few differences between animals and humans is the ability of the human mind to look over distant time horizons and project and think about the future before it happens and change our course accordingly. And what you're highlighting there with the time machine film is a sort of a cautionary tale about if we don't change our course, this is one of the future paths of humanity and this is how how bad things could get. Um, so it's important to have these films, um, isn't it? Because it, it's sort of visualising a, a, a negative future that we need to move move away from and uh, think about what we want to move towards instead. Yeah, and I mean, I, it's, it's
1: great you brought that up. I just um, finished reading a book, The Climate Change and the Green New Deal by um, Noam Chomsky and Robert Pollan. And I highly recommend anyone to read that. It's very, very insightful about how should we should do a global green new deal. Even down to the fact that it's great that Europe are doing the, you know, the green new deal, but they were only putting up, as the both of them commented, about a third to a quarter of the amount of money that we need to actually achieve it. And it talks about the timeframes to change capitalism, neoliberalism. And how do you actually, it's it's about convincing people there's a better way. And this has come out from, you know, I read it and it was like, it reinforced com, um, discussions I've had with various other peoples. You need to give people who, although they don't believe in environmental change, climate change and environment or protecting it, an alternative that will protect the environment, but still keep them happy. So it's 10 times better and it's got the added benefit of protecting the environment. And then they can go on about, you know, because we're going to have capitalists around for decades. People are just interested in money.
0: Yeah, it's harnessing that power of capitalism for, for, for positive reasons. And actually, most of the evidence coming out um, uh, recently is that there's more profits to be made through investing in things like renewable energies than uh, investing in fossil fuels. And um, the, the idea of fossil fuel subsidies, I mean, I wonder what an alien thinks of that. Uh, It's very self-harming, is my opinion at all. What do you think, Richard? Oh, definitely.
1: I think it's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. And it's just, yeah, so many investments and so many, um, you know, pensions, everything that country's money is are tied up in the fossil fuel industry. And we need to, over time, divest from it. It has to take, there has to be a time consideration to be moving away from this so we can actually start helping the people out who work in that industry because they will need to be supported through their pensions. You know, and the changes in jobs and skills like that as well. But yeah, we're seeing that you know the sovereign wealth fund of Norway is now divesting completely from oil. To you know, the Middle Eastern um, countries are looking at changing their plans as well. So as people are starting to shift, it's going to take a momentum, and you're going to see it over time. If we can speed
0: that up all the better. Yeah, there's an inevitability about it, isn't there? That uh, I think some thinking about something like the time machine. And that that film kind of helps us to think about the future, and helps helps us to think that we can look into the future. You know, when when, when we're not animals, we are humans, and we can use our brains to think about the future, project into the future, and uh, and make it a good one instead of making it a bad one. So that's uh, that's great to show the alien uh, the time machine there, and uh, show that we can actually kind of think about the future in a positive way. So, what about the second place that you would show the alien here?
1: The second place is um, so I took a kind of pilgr- pilgrimage to Australia um, a number of years ago. Um, my mother um, and grandfather—they grew up in Australia. But, well, they were born in the UK, but um, they emigrated in the ten-pound palm ticket, as it was known. So, my grandfather would—he um, he built houses all the way f- from Papua New Guinea all the way down to. Um, to uh, Tasmania, and um, yeah, I went over. My brother now lives there, and it, I always wanted to go to the Great Barrier Reef. And you know, it's um, you know, the biodiversity and the impact that has on you know the ocean currents, and it's a storm barrier as well. And it's just absolutely fascinating. Just going snorkeling and scuba diving, just the amount of fish, different animals, looking at all the coral, and just not understanding the fact that we're screwing it all up by our actions of you know, acid, you know um, putting more um, acids into the ocean you know and that's coming from agriculture and shipping and mining and these things and to destroy all that which is kind of connected to what we eat and the air we breathe is just ridiculous.
0: Great Barrier Reef is an example of one of the most biodiverse environments on, on the earth. Anywhere you, where you've got such a high level of biodiversity linking to your biomimicry work as well, there's the opportunity to learn from nature for all sorts of reasons. And um, I don't know if you're familiar with this example, but I've heard about how some of the plants in the Great Barrier Reef are being used to help develop pain relieving drugs, particularly for arthritis.
1: Yeah, because of the, the, the stinging and the tentacles and those kind of things, yeah. I mean, in the other areas you're looking into is kind of um, how to regrow, like um, make concrete, growing underwater. as bio rock. Where you can actually put a um, scaffold in underwater and then allow the animals um, to come along and actually build, you know, the court will actually grow um, rock for you. You can use for boundary walls or even company um, based in London architecture firm, of have called it Byrock Pavilion. So you can actually grow a pavilion to hold concerts underwater right next to
0: where you're going to have it if you're having it on the coast. That's amazing because I mean that's that's turning the Great Barrier Reef into one of its many functions, being the R and D department for these profit-making companies that are developing um, new materials. So it's um, yeah. you know, thinking thinking of nature in those terms. You know, there's lots of reasons to to value nature for intrinsic reasons as well as reasons that benefit humans. But if we're focusing for a moment on the on the ways that nature benefits humans, R and D department over X billion years of, of trial and error that has got to got to these solutions.
1: Yeah, exactly. Downside is Australia's current government is more focused on the profits and environmental destruction and selling everything off, all the crown jewels off uh, to big corporations than anything else. So it does need a shift and a lot more countries actually focused on the environment.
0: It's, it's such a shame because the Great Barrier Reef alone is worth about a billion US dollars, equivalent to the Australian economy. With all of the extra carbon emissions that are coming out of Australia, the the ocean is absorbing some of that turning the water more acidic and killing off the the, the coral reef which is in turn bringing more money into the, the country so it's a, it's a it's a brilliant case of self harm yeah exactly we're you know getting close to the tipping
1: point where you know there's no going back and then you know how's australia going to
0: you know facing in the future as we're shifting to more of green economy Well, The Alien and I went to Australia as part of our world tour. It was one of the 10 places that we visited last year in 2019 before the pandemic came along. And uh, we went to the Great Barrier Reef. And uh, soon after that, The Alien registered to vote in Australia and voted for the Green Party in Australia because it was so worried about uh, the current government in Australia going down the route of uh, fossil fuels and uh, more coal mines and that kind of thing. Are you worried about Australia as well, Richard? It sounds like you are.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, because it's massive—you um, know, it's a massive effect continent, and the amount of you know um, precious metals and ore there that should just be kept in the ground. You know, they should be using you know clean technologies—you know, capturing sunlight a lot more, using the different you know changes in temperatures to make um, you know energy from that and ground source heat pumps and these kind of things. And having to rye and, and you know digging up you know Aboriginal sites to destroying other habitats is—it's uh, unbelievably short-sighted by the um, Australian government.
0: Of course, Australia was on fire early. You know, in early twenty twenty, in January twenty twenty, the whole, the you know, huge areas of the continent of Australia were on fire, and um, it, it sort of boggles the mind that that hasn't prompted a uh, a very strong policy change in a different direction towards renewables.
1: Well, exactly. And people don't understand when they say, oh, it's burning, but they, you know, this is a clear example of the changing climate. We're getting a lot more intense rainfalls, which then causes greater growth of the plants, um, which then coupled that with more dry pears, then dries off these um, plants that are growing a lot more than usual. And you're basically creating a tinderbox.
0: Yeah. So couple, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it creates a, a positive feedback loop where you get more and more fire. And then that, that additional fire puts more carbon into the atmosphere, which causes more fire ultimately. And um, So, um, uh, yes, after all, it's called a runaway greenhouse effect. So you might have noticed that in your solar system, there's another planet called Venus, and it has a runaway greenhouse uh, effect as well. Uh, I, I hope Earth doesn't end up like that. Let's not hope. Let's hope we, uh, that as well,
1: um, Aileen. I, I don't know, Aileen, have you, did you visit um, Venus before it uh, had the runaway greenhouse effect at all uh, i I, I did have
0: I did have a look but uh, i'm I'm afraid that um due to the interplanetary ethical council uh, there's certain things I'm not allowed to tell humans, otherwise it might affect your development, so I can't reveal to you what Venus looked like before its current runaway greenhouse effect great answer yes. <laughs> <Right. laughs> Uh, but you're allowed to speculate, Richard. What do you think Venus was like? Ikea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was uh, rather flammable, yes. Like, I think I'm allowed to say that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so um, what about the uh, the song that you play, The Alien, in Australia? Which song would you play when you're looking over the uh, the burnt landscape of Australia?
1: It's quite interesting. This song actually fits into if we're talking about... Um, the sea and then island nation. So um, my children are obsessed with Disney films and they my youngest one is absolutely bounces around like a nutter to um, Moana. Now that's this the film's all about um, island nations and actually their connection to the natural world and how the balance and the changes of the the volcanoes creating life islands and then life coming along and actually the volcanoes and destroying it as well. And it actually quite fits well quite well in with them talking about the Great Barrier of So it's actually sung by The Rock, um Dwayne the Rock Johnson. It's called You're Welcome and How the Fact That Maui created the world, created the wind, the planets, the stars, the all life on it for the humans. And um it's quite a good song actually as well. Who knew that Dwayne Johnson could actually sing? Mm. I, I'm more impressed with that one, actually. Um, and <laughs> yeah, I just, I just like the song. I can't not like it because on my um, Spotify account, that is the top ranked song that we played this year. Only about 300
0: times. Um, I think that was just one day. Um, so yeah, it's kind of ingrained in my head now. I haven't seen the full film yet, but I it's, it's on my list. And but the, the, the yeah, we've only really of- watched it. We've only watched it about four hundred and fifty-two times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's sort of the latest. Uh, well, it's a modern-day version of Frozen, isn't it? Where the kids are watching it on repeat. Oh yeah, we've got Frozen going as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, with with Moana, that they talk a lot about kind of the connections between the wind and the sun and the in and the ocean, and, and it's uh, portraying a, a civilization that's that was very much in harmony with nature.
1: Yeah, exactly, and. Um, for me, it, it's quite an interesting. It's a great little video as well because it gets you thinking about, you know, these ancient civilizations or indigenous peoples, as we want to, you know, call it, and how they actually had more of a connection to nature and they were more in balance with it. And you, what kind of carrying capacity the land had?
0: Yeah, good. Um And uh, what about the film that you show, the alien?
1: The film I was sure is very much connected to that. It's another. is one. So if my kids geeked out and loved Moana, I Avatar just kind of blew me away. I mean, this whole story of us, and it's very much exactly what we just talked about, of your big corporations going and destroying fragile habitats, and that's Avatar's all about that, as running out of resources on this planet and going somewhere else to try and find a precious metal. Uh, Alien, I don't know if you've seen that anywhere else in the universe.
0: Uh, Well, uh, surprisingly, uh, Richard James McCowan, um, uh, uh, self-harm is quite unique to people on Earth. Uh, Most of the other planets that I visit, they they don't cut down their trees because it would be a bit like cutting off uh, their own arms. And um, interestingly, I, I don't see many humans cutting off their own arms. But I do see lots of humans cutting down their own trees, which is uh, really quite fascinating. I'm going to have to write a report about this and submit it to the Interplanetary Ethical Council on uh, uh, human self-harm and, and, and uh, suicide, really. Yes, and I would just call it stupidity. That That's another word for it. Yeah. So, yeah, um,
1: Avatar. Well, if you've not seen Avatar, uh, tally recommend watching it i would not get focused on the fact that they use papyrus as the um basically the font for the title if you want there's a saturday night live sketch (laughs) on why they used um, papyrus but it's it's a brilliant film i watch it over and over again i'm looking forward to the next one coming out because it's kind of a you know i don't know if anyone knows james is very much an environmentalist and he's very absolutely obsessed by um oceans and um life on earth and it's kind of it's almost a case of it's it's an extension of his thinking and mind and i think it's it made a profound change i mean it does make you think when you're studying nature as much as i am the different the interconnectedness of thinking of trees you know the bacteria the you know the food web under the soil you got the mycelium and the fungus connecting different trees together all the plants um all connected together so you know it, those great things bbc did um programs a number of years ago actually um hosted by chris pack i mean it was how, how different species were connected to each other so it's like how how's a, a, a wasp connected to the the basically the the worldwide supply of brazil nuts so mm-hmm. brazil nuts is the only one you can't um grow uh, as a crop and that's connected to the tree to the uh, an orchid to the the wasp to an animal that then takes the Brazil nut and goes and buries it for future, but then doesn't remember it is and it grows into another Brazil nut. And it's all about these connections in the natural world.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned uh, a moment ago as well about um, what they've called the Wood Wide Web, and yeah. I think sometimes with these, with these principles, it, it's good to have kind of a, a bit of a fun, catchy name for these things so that people can remember it more because I remember that um, connectivity within woodlands more now that I've heard that phrase, the wood wide web. And uh, it's something that people think, oh, it's a, an individual tree, but, uh, but you just go below the surface a bit and you can see all the connections with the other trees and the, and the fungi and things like that. So there's a, a sort of a cascade effect that you can bring about if you start to pull out one part of an interconnected system then the whole thing comes down. And um, I think one of the issues of having relatively short lifespans as humans with 80 or 90 years is that we don't see these collapses happening because it's happening on a a timescale that's too slow for us to see. But actually, if we if you sped it up, it would be a pretty quick collapse. But just to us and to our minds, it looks like it's happening in slow motion and therefore we can sort of ignore it. But uh, we're absolutely bringing about our our own collapse via the collapse of these interconnected ecosystems.
1: Yeah, it's like um you know the, the talk of you put a frog or a um lobster in a pan of cold water. You put it in um, put it to hot water, it jumps straight back out again. You put it into cold water and start heating it up and over time and then it won't notice, and that's effectively what we are. We're not noticing the changes because they're so subtle in the eighteen, nineteen years it's over generations.
0: And that's sometimes why it's useful to have someone like my alien friend here who um, thinks on a very different timescale because it's, it's a billion years old. So, uh, yes, yes, to me, uh, the collapse of your ecosystems is happening pretty suddenly. Uh, and I, I find it very interesting that uh, a lot of humans um, don't see it, really. But to me, uh, it's a bit like you humans being in a frying pan of hot water. And why aren't you jumping out? I mean, it's uh, quite bizarre. Well, some
1: of them are trying to jump out, but that's Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, but I don't know whether they're just trying to build the rockets for their own escape.
0: Yeah, so uh, going going over to Mars, and, uh, but that's going to take, you know, a lot of people, sometimes people have said to me, oh, uh, well, does it really matter if we we're in Earth because we, we'll just go over to Mars? Well, the problem with that is that it might be theoretically possible, but it might take 100,000 years to terraform Mars. And are we going to live for another 100,000 years on Earth whilst we to reform Mars and, and get that into a working order? And also, what's to say that we were in, we're in Mars as well?
1: Yep, because every civilization has come around has done roughly the same thing. It, it goes past the limits of the environment and then the destruction happens. So, you know, we never learned because as you say, things pass so slowly or you think, ah, we'll do it differently this time. It's like going to a planning meeting. If anyone's ever been to a planning meeting and they'll say, we'll do things differently. or We're going to build more roads and not, not realising that you build more roads, people buy more cars. Not the opposite. It doesn't
0: ease traffic, it just makes it worse. Hopefully the alien perspective can help us to think a bit differently, knowing that, um, according to the alien here, this uh, self-destruction that we're doing on Earth is uh, pretty unique, so it's not like it's happening in other civilizations and other planets. Shall we move on to the third place then? So what would be the third place that you would show the alien?
1: Now, recently, um, I recently had the chance to go to the Middle East, um, although I've flown through there a number of times, but spend time in this in the United Arab Emirates. And um, it's a weird place, the place that is basically effectively run on from fossil fuel discovery. And it's just air conditioning everywhere. And it just, it's a beautiful country. I mean, the weather's lovely. You know, there's fragile ecosystems and habitats like um, mangrove swamps were protecting the coastline and, you know, presiding um, places for um, schools of fish, juvenile fish. But it just doesn't make sense. You know, you walk around and you see them watering the grass during the midday sun. It's like, well, is that the best time to do it? Um, you know, doors opened up um giant big glass buildings that are designed generally by you know star architects from Europe and it just the whole place is fascinating it's like some sort of sim city but it just doesn't really make sense because it's just so I know they're trying to do it as best they can now with the efficient build. It just it, it just confuses me it's just everything's just so much money and there's got to be a better way of doing things there it just confuses the hell out of me.
0: So this is Abu Dhabi itself or the whole yeah. country? Or,
1: yeah. Well, the whole country. I mean, there are, air, you know, if you go to um, places with, um, you know, rural places, there are people living without air conditioning. and houses being been designed to, you know, be very cool during the day by, you know, being very thick walls, very small windows and those kind of things. But it's just, you know, the rest of the place in the city centres is just all money and, tall buildings and you know you've got even got the tallest building in the world that's not connected to our sewer system so they have to take away the human and food waste and trucks which is ridiculous <laughs> where does it go yeah. is there a giant poo mountain that people ski down i don't know <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, that's interesting yeah i mean um, um alien did you in your early development of your civilization um, did you have any sort of fundamentally unsustainable cities like that well, yeah, Yes, we did actually uh, at all. Yeah, so what we did a few trillion years ago uh, before we realized how to manage our planet sustainably, we had a few cities a bit like that in a desert and leading lots of water, and uh, we just abandoned them, to be honest, Richard James McCowan.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting thing because um, my background is um, kind of urban design as well as um, property. And you do start thinking this, it's like, you know, in the natural world of um, habitats, you know, nests. Working, they just get abandoned. But eventually, you know, some of the cities that it throughout history have been. But why in the modern civilization, if we want to call ourselves that, have we not abandoned cities?
0: Hmm. Why, yeah. you know,
1: Detroit could have been abandoned. I know I'm not saying that any negative things to the people that live in Detroit and it's coming back, but certain places, why not just let them
0: go? Use them as yeah. a resource to rebuild something else, you know. Elsewhere. It does make you wonder about cities like Abu Dhabi and also Las Vegas, actually, to some extent as well. You know, all the resources that are needed to run those cities have to be transported so far from where they naturally occur that you would think, you know, why build Las Vegas in the desert? Why build Abu Dhabi effectively in a desert? Is that really sustainable in, in the long term? I mean, there are some sustainability advantages to cities because of taking up less land and people sort of living on top of each other can save space to some extent. But when you're building these cities in a, in a fundamentally uh, unsustainable manner, in a, in a hot place where you need air conditioning all the time, but then you're leaving the, the windows open and it's just wasting that energy, then I think we need to kind of think about these sort of radical ideas like just abandoning certain cities and you know on the aliens planet they weren't afraid to do that when they realized that they needed to.
1: And that's why you've been around a lot longer than us and probably will be mm. Um
0: continue to until we are a distant memory. I'm trying to help you out actually uh, I'm trying to help humans by giving a few positive examples of the, the tough decisions we've had to make in the past.
1: Yeah and all, all at all will be to use a distant memory.
0: Yeah, well, I, I hope I'll remember us uh, in a few trillion years' time when I'm uh, reaching my middle age.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you, Aileen, do you actually have birthday candles on your cake? Because it wouldn't really be a, a party, it would be more of a forest fire, wouldn't it?
0: We, we, we do have uh, objects on our cakes, but they're more at this sort of molecular level, so I don't think you humans could notice them. Ah, good answer, thank you. Um, and uh, what about the um, what about the song that you would play the alien in the United Arab Emirates?
1: Um, Learn to fly by the Foo Fighters. I just like the Foo Fighters; I like they're great band. You know, I, I used to love Nirvana and Dave Grove, Except like the Foo Fighters, actually, uh, after the death of uh, Kurt Cobain, and I just I like the song, but I also like the video when they got Jack Black and and they play all the characters, and it's just quite a silly one. It just reminds me of just going off somewhere and traveling and yeah just trying something new and different and I think maybe it just connects into you know me setting up my companies and doing different things and having people in the past say oh you should just have a stable life and do things like you work in the UK in the property sector but I should no said that there's more important things to t- care about than you know getting rich people richer and those kind of things. I'd rather see how we
0: can actually make things better. They say that travel broadens the mind, and I think it's, it's it's good to travel in many ways because it does help you to learn from different cultures, different ways of thinking. And I'm sure that applies to your biomimicry as well, in terms of thinking from a completely different perspective. And all these species that have found solutions over billions of years that have not come from a human thinking perspective.
1: Yeah, and also the fact that when we're, I was in Abu Dhabi last. To, um, Red Hot Chili Peppers at Stinger at the hotel and, and over some beers we discussed with a drummer from the Red Hot Chili Peppers that the Foo
0: Fighters were the better band and they agreed. So yeah, that's another <laughs> reason to
1: go for the Foo Fighters.
0: <laughs> yeah, and uh, what about the film that you would show the alien in the United Arab Emirates? It's one of my favourite films, just a really silly one, Ghostbusters,
1: which is just basically about three, a bunch of scientists who... Believe they've got a way of capturing ghosts that ghosts are real, and it's just an absolutely brilliant film that you can continue watching. It's kind of timeless. It's got that kind of cheesy quality, and I, if I'd recommend to anyone, everybody, to watch it because Bill Murray and the rest, Dan Aykroyd, and the other cast members are it's absolutely brilliant, and you can just see them—the fact that they're just trying not to laugh in every scene.
0: Yeah, it's a vintage '80s, isn't
1: it? Yeah, and it's kind of one of the things that actually people think. I, I, I find I when I, I tend to mess around when I'm getting creative, a lot of people find that I'm working, that if I'm engaged, I'm generally messing around because that's engaging my creative side of the brain. And watching things like that, it kind of relaxes you and I find, I just humour. I will not work with anyone who doesn't have a sense of humour as well. So it kind of...
0: Yeah, definitely. It sort of, um, it helps to kind of access different parts of the brain, as you say, because what we've been doing as a species so far has not been working in terms of driving us towards this unsustainable path. So we have to access different parts of our brain, think differently. Films like uh, Ghostbusters, which is obviously uh, completely fictional. Um, and uh, The Alien, uh, have you seen Ghostbusters? Uh, yes, I, saw, I, I watched it on the internet uh, when you were asleep because uh, obviously I, I don't need to sleep. And um, yeah, I saw it. I, I like the marshmallow, man.
1: Yeah, that was Ghostbusters. Yeah, that was that's great. Um, it does make, yeah, it makes you hungry watching that but.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> especially when they blow it up and then there's marshmallow yep. everywhere. Yeah. Okay, so, so you've shown the alien three places around the world, the Highlands of Scotland, the Great Barrier Reef, the United Arab Emirates, and shown it some songs and films. Um, are there any sort of final messages that we haven't covered so far that you'd like the alien to take away on its on its journey back to its own planet?
1: Yeah, I'd look at the um, negative correlations between this planet. As we're getting wealthier well more urbanized as a species and not or as a race we're destroying the planet more and that should it should be a positive correlation so there's a big push by a new area of research combining it's called planetary health so you're combining human ecological and animal health together and I think it's, it'd be interesting for the alien to very much like study this and say are we on the right track by doing that
0: Yes, that idea of having a, uh, an inverse relationship between development and sustainability. And why isn't that uh, a, a direct positive correlation between sustainability and development? But uh, we're going in the, in the opposite direction. And, yeah. and really, that goes to the heart of why the aliens come here instead of one of the other millions of planets out there. Uh, yes, that's right, Saturday. You're a, you're a fascinating case study on Earth. And uh, I will be looking forward to submitting my report to the Interplanetary Ethical Council.
1: Right, thank you very much.
0: Do you have any alien actions that you'd like to pledge to do?
1: I would say is shopping locally. So buying locally where you can, looking at places that are actually helping small businesses and keeping these going as well, because they're lifeblood, especially if we're going to be working from home a lot more. You know, there's a great shop on my street called The Giftery, which is a gift shop, and then the other half of it is a zero-waste shop where you can go, you take on your your plastic bottles and get them refilled with... Um, shopping li- uh, liquid for your conditioners to everything in households. And they're all um, environmentally friendly as well. I even take my um, kids' crisp packets and um, you know sweet wrappers and that along there as well to um, get taken to our local um, environment center, which recycles them. So it's about protecting and realizing where the money's going. And so what something slightly more expensive because we've lost the value of things These days and realising actually yes it's more expensive but that person's personally thought that out to put in their shelves and it's not just you dealing with an algorithm.
0: Yeah and it's more efficient to do that isn't it to shop locally because otherwise the alternative is to be shipping goods around the world or around the country when there's a similar good you know just down the road and actually yeah shopping locally is a a fundamental sort of part of living efficiently and, and reducing waste.
1: And you're not always going to get everything locally but you know why not do that the first step you get to know your local shopkeepers you're you know keeping people in jobs and it's it's not yeah it it makes you feel better as well
0: yeah great okay so yeah so shop locally is your alien action and um, yes we we do that on my planet uh uh, richard james mccowan um, uh yes we always shop locally we don't like to waste and uh post things around our countries. Very strange, really, doing that. So uh, yes, we, we we love shopping locally. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. So where can listeners find your website and find you on social media? Yeah, so um, also we mentioned
1: a couple of businesses, so bio-uk.org. Um, check out, You can from there you can get links to um, I was on LinkedIn, Instagram, I think we're even on Pinterest as well, and um, uh, Twitter. Same with them. BioMicro Innovation Lab for our um, the consultancy, and that's uh, again on all the major social media platforms. Um we tend to post a lot about scientific discoveries that are happening, products are developed and developed about you know around the world, and then little bits about what we're doing. We like to share ideas concepts we do quite a lot of webinars as well um kicking off again next year behind the science we're interviewing scientists uh, who work in the field to get them talking about their technologies innovations they're developing and challenges they're facing trying to get them to market
0: yeah great so you're consulting you're advising all these all these different companies uh
1: some of the way are some it's literally just us showcasing some of the best practice out there because it's good to show people that you know this is what's happening in random places that you may not come across, because we've got quite an extensive um, research list of people we can um, we contact and bring a lot of information together. So,
0: Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I think uh, biomimicry is something that really deserves uh, a high profile. So, so uh, please give Richard a, a follow on social media. So it just reminds me to thank you, Richard James McCowan, for sharing with us your three alien places. All right, yes, okay, uh, thank you very much, Richard James McCowan.
1: Yes, thank you Atoll and the Alien for having me.
0: So, what did you think of that interview, Alien? Do you like the sound of Richard's work in biomimicry? Oh yes, Atoll. He sounds like a very sensible human to be learning from the other species on your planet. I mean, they've been doing research and development for billions of years, so it would be a bit odd to ignore their results, Atoll. Indeed. And which of the three places, songs and films that Richard chose do you like best? Well, I like the pharmacy, uh, sorry, I mean, uh, Great Barrier Reef. And I like the song You're Welcome from the 2016 animated film Moana. Uh, I should say you're welcome to you, asshole, after you thank me uh, for acting as a a cognitive mirror for humanity. Oh, right. uh, Thank you, Alien, for acting as a cognitive mirror for humanity. You're welcome. Well, that's it for this episode of Alien Places. Thank you for listening. Bye!